And once again. <laughs> once again, what, boy? You mean once again? Once again, the star is here. Yes, uh, George. Yes, indeed. Hey, listen, I got, uh, I have, uh, uh, I must say that uh, tonight is going to be a little bit of an unusual type show. And uh, unusual, and I, I like to think that all of my shows are unusual. Deeply unusual and deeply moving. <laughs> but uh, we uh, got a letter here from a lady, and she says, uh, I'm very curious. She said, uh, what kind of books, when you were a kid, affected you, influenced you? Well, I, I, you shouldn't even use that word influence. I guess uh, she said it, but, but I didn't. But my feeling is that almost anything that you hear at a certain point in your life and that... Uh, may involve you, ultimately influences you some way or another. Well, sure, can you imagine a kid of three sitting there reading uh, the latest porny stuff? <laughs> it would influence him. <laughs> it really would. It would influence his attitude towards life, I would suspect, for the rest of his life, you know, uh, one way or another. But uh, I, I got thinking about that, you know, and I said, you know, it's very interesting. Good question. And uh, one of my friends uh, down uh, in the village, a friend of mine who is a, is a writer, incidentally has written a couple of very fine children's books, uh, is a great collector of this stuff. He, he goes into old bookstores and uh, down on 4th Avenue and down, down lower Broadway, there's all kinds of used bookstores down there, and he, he picks up uh, particularly children's books. I mean, not not the, you know, not the, uh, the usual uh, Dr. Seuss type things, but I'm talking about children's books, books, books. I mean, real books. And uh, a couple of days ago, he gave me a copy of a thing that he found on there that really knocked me out because one of the very first books I can remember as a kid that uh, involved me came about through a teacher. Uh, a second grade teacher, you've heard me talk about this, you know, this teacher was in the Warren G. Harding School, and we had this teacher named Miss Shields. And it was second grade. And every day, she would read to us a story for 15 minutes out of a book, that she, you know, whatever the book was. And it went continuously. Say, she would finish a book, like uh, after she would read this over a period of two or three weeks and finish a book, and then she would start another one. Well... I can remember most vividly, really, really, her reading. I will, I will, I will open it up. I'll tell you this right now. I'll read a. I'll open this up, and I will read the opening lines of a very famous book. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know. It's a. It's it's Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Andy. Did you ever read Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Andy when you were a kid? I never read them. Actually, myself read them. It was Miss Shields read them to us. Now, I'm going to ask a question here. I don't know uh, whether or not teachers in school still read to kids. I'm just curious whether they read works of fiction to kids. And if so, why not? I think that's a damn good question. 
because I some of the most pleasurable moments in my kid life I remember as having spent in a group of kids with somebody reading to us. Now, Miss uh, Shields used to, she, she'd, she'd get up there, and it was always uh, like in the afternoon, and, uh, and she would say, it was almost midnight, and the dolls were asleep in their beds, all except Raggedy Ann. Raggedy lay there, her shoe button eyes, staring straight up at the ceiling. Every once in a while, Raggedy Ann ran her rag hand up through her yarn hair. She was thinking. When she had raised, she thought for a long, long time. And when she had done this, Raggedy Ann raised herself on her wobbly elbows and said, I have thought it all out. At this, all the other dolls shook each other and raised up saying, Listen, Raggedy has thought it all out. Tell us what you've been thinking, Raggedy, said the tin soldier. We hope they were pleasant thoughts. Not very pleasant thoughts, said Raggedy, as she brushed a tear from her shoe button eye. You haven't seen Fido all day, have you? Not since early this morning, the French doll said. It's troubled me. I haven't seen him all day. And he must be lost. Fido is lost. It just came to me. And then Miss Shields would say, well, that's that's our reason for today. <laughs> and you know, there's a holy smokestick. Oh, it's the dog. Well, I, I, now, now I, I, uh, I submit that if, if a kid is, uh, is you know, gets involved, when you're a little kid, well, what are you when you're in second grade? How old are you? Oh, six, something like that. Uh, does somebody reading to you, don't think for a minute just because it's the age of television that the idea of somebody reading to you would not intrigue you. That means you simply don't know about kids, nor do you know about reading. <laughs> uh, I, I tell you that, that uh, they would probably enjoy it even more because it's so rare today. And uh, I, I know of uh, another another one. She used to read. Uh, she read Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Andy. I always remember this. She used to read the Oz stories. You remember the Oz stories? Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz? Oh, come on. Uh, I'll, I'll award you a brass figure with bronze oak leaf pound. By the way, the Raggedy Ann stories are genuine classics. And uh, there, there's a curious quality to them. And when you look at it, I haven't looked at these things. You know, I got this old copy here uh, of, of one of them. Somebody sent it to me. Uh, that these, these books, you know, are even more popular than they were then, these Raggedy Ann books. They're selling like crazy. But there's a curious quality in them that you can understand why they're classics. I mean, I don't know what there is about them, but they really do it. Oh, I'll give you a brass fig, McGee, with a real giant bronze palm, if you can tell me who wrote the Raggedy Ann stories. Now, the Raggedy Ann stories, of course, have created the whole series of dolls and everything else. You go into F.A.O. Schwartz, and they like have a whole section devoted to them. But who wrote it? Who created that character? One, it was a man. One guy created this character. Who was it? And not only did he create the character, but he drew the character, the uh, the doll. So there it is. This is the cover. Uh, that the doll, which has become the Raggedy Ann doll, was drawn by him. He was primarily an illustrator, this guy. And so he illustrated this and then wrote the stories with it. What was his name? Now, there's, there's a, a guy who created Deathless. 
<laughs> kid literature, and hardly anybody remembers his name. Uh, do, you, do you know some of the other uh, stories? Uh, they're still in print. Uh, I have a... Uh, I, I did a little research on this, in case you're interested. I went up and... Uh, 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 Bob's Merrill publishes them. The publisher is the... And, and they did then. There it is, right on the back of it. That's one of the original... Now, do you know that, that uh, these things were... Uh, were and still are all in print, and there's not many authors whose books all remain in print over all those years. <laughs> I mean, this guy's books are still in print. And do you know some of the story's uh, titles? Uh, that was one of the basic stories. In fact, one of the basic books, the one I read from you, is called Raggedy Ann Stories. That was the first one. Raggedy Ann Stories. Now, actually, the first one was Raggedy Ann's very own fairy stories. was the absolute first book he wrote. The second book was the one I just read to you from, Raggedy Ann Stories. When do you guess he wrote these things? Now, for one minute, I want to tell you, don't think for a minute that, that uh, I was around at the time you wrote them. No way. No way. Because these things are classics and have been around for a long time. Uh, and and the very first one was written, when would you guess, roughly? Well, it was written right during the middle of World War One, And it was called Raggedy Ann's Very Own Fairy Stories. And he continued to write them for a long time. Many, many years. Every year or two, there would be a couple of them come out. Raggedy Ann Stories was next. And Raggedy Andy Stories came out the, sec the same year as Raggedy Ann's Stories. And then came Raggedy Ann's Friendly Fairies. And that was uh, two years after the first one came out. And then he began to have, uh, instead of stories, he had whole novels for kids. Raggedy Ann's Wishing Pebble. <laughs> Uh, how about Raggedy Ann's Magical Wishes? Raggedy Ann in the Deep, Deep Woods. Each one of these was a classic. And incidentally, the one I remember specifically, uh, Miss Shields reading continually. In fact, I've used it in many of the stories uh, that uh, I, have, uh, I have told about this. Raggedy, uh, this was the one I remember her reading all the time. She would say, and now I'm going to read Raggedy Ann and the Camel with the Wrinkled Knees. <laughs> That's a great title. Raggedy Ann and the Camel with the Wrinkled Knees. Actually, that was the first one, according to this uh, list that I have here. That was the first one. Uh, they also had Raggedy Ann in the Snow White Castle. Raggedy Ann, this is a great name, Raggedy Ann in Cookie Land. That, uh, <laughs> that smacks of Sesame Street. Raggedy Ann's Lucky Pennies. Raggedy Ann in the Magic Book. Here's a great title. Raggedy Ann and the Golden Butterfly. The same writer wrote several other things called, and they apparently never got as much uh, fame as Raggedy Ann. One of them was called Beloved Belindy. Uh, he also wrote a thing called Wooden Willie, uh, Marcella. All these were written at the same time. And Johnny Mouse and the Wishing Stick. Uh, that one he wrote in 1972. The same guy is still around. <laughs> How do you like that? Now, uh, what's what's his name? All right. Well, I'll, I'll uh, 
All right, you're, you're a girl type. We're, we're having a, a very deep literary discussion here. You ever heard of Raggedy Ann? Okay. Uh, very famous character. You agree? You see, two girl types came in the control room. We're, we're, we should get the, the information on this. Did you ever read them, the books? You know the dolls. Okay. You realize they came from books. Okay. And these books are very famous. They sell today more than they used to sell even. Now, the question is, here's a guy that created a deathless character. Really is. Known the world over. And very few people know his name. Who was it? That's fame. <laughs> Incidentally, apparently he's still alive. The thing is, though, here's, it's, it's like creating something that goes, it transcends, the, the, the creation transcends the guy so much that nobody even thinks of him. It's like, uh, well, an example of that is uh, well, Flash Gordon. We all know about Flash Gordon. Uh, very few people know who the guy was who created Flash Gordon, who created the character. Superman. Who, what was the name of the guy that created Superman? And yet that's in almost every language all over the world. It must be really maddening <laughs> to create something that is so fantastic that people all over the world know about it. Read that. You know that they have Superman T-shirts in Russia? And yet they don't know who the hell did it. Uh, it, that's right, and that, that is really, really and, and other people create some little piece of totally nothing. They become world famous. They're on the Johnny Carson show every night with Jaja Zsa Gabor. It's made into a movie. <laughs> they never write again, you know. And uh, people forget their book in two weeks. But uh, here's a guy that created something really important. Raggedy Ann. Uh, this is W O R New York. You ain't gonna forget who we are. All right, I'll tell you what his name was. It was jo Johnny Gruel. Johnny Gruel. G-R-U-E-L-L-E. -L -L -E. Now, I'll ask you another one about that same. One of the most famous characters, played, incidentally, by uh, Judy Garland in the movies, was Dorothy. You agree? In The Wizard of Oz. Now, Oz was a mythical kingdom. Did you ever read any of the Oz books? You should. They're fantastic. They really are. Uh, in fact, I think adults dig the Oz books more than kids. They're like Alice in Wonderland. There's all kinds of curious underlying themes that run through them. And uh, they're really, really spectacularly interesting for kids. Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, the, the chief book, the first one, was simply called The Wizard of Oz. That was the first one. Then there was Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, Dorothy and the Yellow Brick Road, Dorothy and the Cowardly Lion. These were all different books. Uh, Dorothy and the Tin Woodman of Oz, <laughs> Dorothy and the Tick-Tock of Oz, which was another creation, very interesting character. Now, who created these? Now, there you go. And, and really, I mean, here's here's another another creation that I think has covered uh, the world. I mean, people know about Oz. Oz, uh, the Oz Kingdom. If you ever got involved in this, and by the way, that brings up another interesting thing: that some of the most important classical children's literature, in fact, it transcends children's literature into another, I suppose, another genre involves the creation almost invariably of a mythical land. Wonderland. 
<laughs> that was land. It was a special land where Dorothy or other Alice walked around. Do you ever read Alice in Wonderland? Well, she walked around in Wonderland, if you recall, and it was a mythical land. Now, Oz was a mythical land. Kids dig the idea of living in a country that is totally mythical. It's created in its own, you know, it, it has its own boundaries and its own world. Well, now, I'll really ask you a question. You seriously saw, you do know something about Oz, do either of you? Okay. Well, you remember, the wizard ruled this country. And uh, he, he, was, uh, he was a humbug, that is true. But he ruled the country. Like so many, incidentally, this is part of Frank Baum. And by the way, he wrote it, Frank Baum, B-A-U-M. Part of his allegories were that here was this creature ruling the entire country, and he was a fake. It has a certain uh, parallels today, doesn't it? <laughs> or do I have to spell it out? He was all PR. He had a giant public address system, and he would hide behind this enormous mask, and whenever people came to see him, this enormous voice would come out. Huh? No, 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 no. It was not East Plainfield. That is not the name of the town. Uh, although that's close, uh, Jersey itself has certain Oz-like characteristics. Uh, there are certainly plenty of munchkins living along Route 46 over on 22, too. So, <laughs> all right, what were the, uh, the other people? All right, I'll give you one more. I'll give you another guess or another help. Each one of these parts of the kingdom was ruled over by some a, a kind of a sub-ruler. Now, you've all heard of the term the Wicked Witch of the West. Now, the Wicked Witch of the West was one of the rulers of Oz. And when uh, Dorothy's house fell in the in Oz, she destroyed the Wicked Witch of the West, who was played by Margaret Hamilton, uh, the lady that does the Maxwell House commercials. Now, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. The Wicked Witch of the West ruled the western part of Oz, or at least one of the segments of the western part. What was the country she ruled? Who were the people that she was a uh, tyrant over? No, nothing with wings. The, the, the people, the, those were creatures that lived in Oz. They were not people. There were, there were, no, there were denizens of Oz. There were four different kinds of people. There was the, there were the, the munchkins. Now, you could tell what country you were in, and this was part of the mythology of Oz, and it really fascinated kids. You could tell what part of the country you were in by the fact that the people were shaped differently and the country was a different color. In short, if you looked out of the window and you saw that the country was yellow, everything was yellow, the trees were yellow, everything, bright yellow, you knew what part of Oz you were in. If you looked out of the window and one part of the country, the country was blue, you were in another part. And you know what the logic behind that was? Well, most kids, when, they, when they're in school, when they're like in second grade or third grade, you take a course called geography, right? Well, you have a geography book, correct? And you look in your geography book, you will notice that, uh, that uh, the different countries in a map are different colors. Now, wouldn't it be great if in real life they were? That's the premise of, of the of Oz, in a sense. That if you look at the if you look at a map of the United States 
Or let's say you look at a map of the world. Some countries are green, some are red, some are green, purple, blue. They have all these different colors. Well, in Oz, they actually were those colors. These countries had fantastic colors. So the, the central city had a specific color. And it was very important to understand why that color, because the color itself was important. No, they made a whole thing in the movie about that color. If you recall, Dorothy went to this city, and when she arrived there, they said before she could enter, they all had to wear these special glasses. Now, why did she put on those special glasses? Huh? No, not rose-colored glasses. Boy, are you guys, you guys really, no way. Huh? Why? Well, you don't know why. Well, this is a whole important part of the story. I don't think you even got the story. I suspect a lot of people who watch movies only watch them halfway and don't get what the movie's really about. <laughs> yeah, really, I mean that. I, all right, I will explain to the, this to you. The central city of Oz was the Emerald City. Okay. Now... Now, why then, why then, now come on, listen, why then, when these people, when you visited the Emerald City, which was like visiting the Vatican or something, no, it was a very important city, and the, you would, the whole story of the movie, but of course this was not true in the books, the whole story of the movie was Dorothy's trip to go to the Emerald City. Now, there were certain reasons why she went to the Emerald City. What were they? What's that, to see it? No. No, wait a minute. No, wait. No, no, you, you guys are going uh, to see the wizard, but why? No, wait a minute. No, no, you're all wrong, all of you. Gee whiz. All right, I'll tell you. Who were her companions? Now, come on, Joe, please. Who were her companions on the trip? All right, now, they were the reason for her visit. I will not know. That's only one. The, 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 all right, now I will explain this to you. So to just, just quit the hollering. We're, we're causing a lot of excitement in the control room. That as Dorothy traveled... Now, I'll, we have to go earlier than this. How did Dorothy arrive in Oz, and where did she live prior to going to Oz? Kansas. Okay. Now, all right. What was the name of her dog? Toto. Agreed. What was the name of... Who did she live with in Oz? Yes, and what were their names? Aunt M. She never said Emma. She said Aunt M. And Uncle? Nobody remembers the uncle. See, this is a truly matriarchal world. All right. When the, when the, when the tornado hit, she was taken by a tornado, correct? Now, as you know, Kansas does have tornadoes. And, and the, the, uh, the, the house was swept up, and Dorothy was asleep at the time. And her, her uh, aunt and uncle were outside. They had, they, they, were, they had escaped, apparently. And, of course, the house crashed down. It, it went through a, an unimaginable journey. It landed in this strange place, which Dorothy then knew she was in odd. Now, as she... she she struggled out of the house. What happened then? Who did she meet? Well, she was greeted by these people who danced around her, and they were dancing because she had just 
inadvertently killed a dictator. <laughs> Her house had landed on the Wicked Witch of the West, and all the people were around there dancing and singing because she had saved them from this fantastic tyrant. Well, at that point, she was like a star there. She had just all happened to her, see? And, of course, this is a kid dream, right for starters, to all of a sudden you're very famous for something that didn't take much work to do. Now, okay, now she started a trip to the Emerald City uh, because she was told in the Emerald City the wizard lived, and the wizard could get her back to Kansas. You were quite right there. But then the, the, there were more important reasons that began to evolve as she traveled back. Now, she met the Scarecrow. Now, what was the problem with the Scarecrow? He did not have any brains. That's right. Now, the Scarecrow, yet, however, as a kid reading this, he could see how strange this was because of all the people she met, the Scarecrow was the most intelligent of all. Now, that was a very important point, that here was a man the scarecrow, who felt that he was totally without uh, brains. He was a, he was a, he was a very uh, modest type. He kept saying, well, I don't... And yet, he was really the smartest. In short, what we're really saying here is that, uh, is that the more you talk about how smart you are, the less you are, really. When people come on and pretend that they're fantastic intellectuals, that is a sure sign that they ain't. <laughs> A true intellectual never says anything about it and quite often talks the opposite. So, all right, now, then what was the next person they met? All right, the Tin Woodman. Now, the Tin Woodman's problem was what? All right, now, okay, a heart. But why, well, how had he become a Tin Woodman? Ah, ah. No, he was not always a tin woodman, you know. That he had been a human type. He had been one of the Oz residents. But what was his job? He was a woodman. And as he would chop wood, often he would get injured. And so they would replace, like he cut his leg or something, he replaced it with a tin one. And finally, he, he cut so much wood that ultimately his entire body was replaced with tin. He was now, and this, incidentally, is according to, I'm telling you the truth, according to, uh, and, and there he was. How did she find him? What was his state? He was frozen because the rain had come down and it had rusted him. And so she, she had an oil can, they, they got some oil, and they oiled him, and he began to speak. He had been held frozen for many, many centuries, apparently, and suddenly here he was. Uh, and, and we noticed that he was a very sentimental guy, and yet he claimed he had no heart. So he had to go get a heart. Now, what was the third character? The Cowardly Lion, played by Burt Lahr. Who played in the movies the Tin Woodman? It's a, uh, well, I'll give you a little clue. His son is now a well-known TV producer out of... Uh, out of Hollywood, you'll occasionally see him on series and so on. Huh? Jack Haley, correct. Who played the scarecrow? Ray Bolger. Now, she is struggling her way. <laughs> she is struggling her way. You can see I'm a real student of this world. So she struggles over the yellow brick road. She is told that the yellow brick road leads directly to 
the Emerald City. Now, what are some of the dangerous places through which she passes? One of them is the Field of Poppies, which causes people and things passing through, unless they're very careful, to fall asleep. You realize, of course, this was an allusion to opium in the story. It really was. There's all kinds of hidden meanings in this thing. Be careful. Uh, so who did she find in this field of poppies sound asleep? Sound asleep in this field of poppies. Well, I'll tell you, the cowardly lion was asleep. <laughs> and that's how she met him. He, was, he, had, he had fallen afoul of these poppies. Now, she finally got to the Emerald City. Now, she put on these glasses. Now, this is an important point, because I thought this was a very clever part of, of the Oz stories. There are all kinds of political allegories in it. She arrived in the Emerald City, or at the gates of the Emerald City. There were guards there who told them that they had to put on these green glasses. Now, what was the excuse they gave them for putting on the green glasses? That drew a blank from all of you. Well, let's face it. This is a city made of emeralds. It's supposed to be the most magnificent city in the, uh, ever. It's a fantastic city made of emeralds, and it was so brilliant. In other words, the, the, uh, these emeralds, these gems were so bright that you could not look at these things without hurting your eyes. It was tremendous light. So they told them they had to wear these special green glasses when they went to to see the wizard. The light was so bright. This fantastic city was made entirely of emeralds. <laughs> and so they put on this, these glasses and they went in to see the Wizard of Oz. Now, next question. Who played the wizard in the movie? Who? That is correct. Frank Morgan. All right. Now, when... when uh, well, now wait. You, 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 you can't uh, put this down now. When the wizard finally uh, betrayed himself, uh, he, he betrayed himself, and how did they how did they discover that he was not indeed real? Excuse me. Yeah, that's right. And there he was sitting there, crouched down, and he had what? He had a microphone, and he was <laughs> he had this giant voice that was roaring out. Now, isn't that a pretty doggone interesting allegory uh, as to the, your usual political leader? That's what that was about. Here he was ruling the... He's a little nothing, see? And he was ruling the whole world with this fake loudspeaker. And it was tremendous. He, it was feeding an enormous power. Well, they discovered he wasn't, but what made him great was he admitted it. He says, well, all right, I'm a humbug. He says, but I haven't hurt anybody. And at that point, <laughs> one of them took their... He says, everybody's pleased. They're happy. They've been happy under all this. And we've... we've uh, which is not a bad point. So at that point... Uh, somebody took, one of them took off their glasses and they discovered something about the glasses. What was it? That is correct. They took their glasses off and they discovered the Emerald City was a fake too. It was not made of emeralds. It was not green. But the only time you thought it was green was when you put the damn glasses on. So, so uh, all right. Now, how did the tin, or rather, how did the... Uh, how did the uh, humbug, or the wizard, as you call him, how did he then escape Oz? He left Oz. He decided he was, all right, he went out in a balloon. 
And at that point, then, who ruled Oz? Who? There's, now we're getting the Scarecrow. However, that was only temporary because if you really followed the books, now most people thought, well, that's the end. No way. That was the beginning of the Oz story. Dorothy went back to Kansas, and here's when it really started to get interesting. She had a, she had a terrible desire and a yearning to return to Oz. At which point, in the next book, she did. She returned to Oz, and that's when it really got interesting. How many of you have ever... Who was then... Who became the, the, the uh, ruler of Oz? Well, have you ever heard the name Ozma of Oz? All right. Now you're, you're getting into the very serious works of Oz. <laughs> and who was Ozma? Oh, this is, this is where the real students get involved. Because uh, a lot of stuff happened to Dorothy that went way beyond the yellow brick road. And if any of you are, are, are interested, it, it's, a, it's a tremendous saga. Now, the only point I'm making here is that this, this, uh, this series of books, uh, if you got hooked on them, they really made you very different from the other kids who were hooked, let's say, on popular mechanics. Uh, kids that were hooked on, say, such uh, zingers as uh, having fun pretending that you're the mailman for today, which was a typical kid book of the, of the period. Uh, a Visit to the Dairy. Uh, oh, God. Uh, you know, uh, A Visit to Your Post Office. Uh, that kind of thing. Because once a kid gets involved in imaginative stuff, he can never turn back. And, uh, and I, I say that uh, this was part of it. The Oz stories... Uh, Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Andy, and then this is a this is an odd one. Uh, Miss Shields, the same lady, began to read this stuff, which uh, I will read to you right now for for starters to give you the opening lines. Now I didn't care for this kind of stuff, but I want to tell you this: the girls in our class flipped, absolutely flipped. When she, she'd read this, she said, no, boys and girls, she's finished Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Andy, see? And I really got turned down to the Oz story. She'd read these Oz stories, and I especially liked the pumpkin head of Oz. Jack, the, the, there was a character called the pumpkin head of Oz, which was one of the great memorable characters that appeared in the later books. Tick-tock of Oz was another one. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, she... She started to read this series, then, which bored me stiff, but all the, the, the girls in the class, they loved this. She would start out with this. She said, now I'm going to read you chapter one of the next book we are going to read in our reading period. And I will read the first sentence and see whether or not you enjoy hearing about it. The Bobsy twins were very busy that morning. They were all seated around the dining room table making houses and furnishing them. Now, that's a typical girl thing, playing out. Oh, what the hell is this? The houses were being made out of pasteboard shoe boxes and had square holes cut in them for doors and other long holes for windows. Now, I would like to make a point here. These books are still great. Well, all right. Who wrote a very famous book called Risen from the Ranks? That's right. Horatio Alger, Jr. 
you know, the senior never got anywhere, but the radioalgia junior wrote Risen. And there's one of the original. This is the first edition. I'm holding up for you here. This is not a reprint. This is the first edition of Horatio Alger. Somebody sent to me. It says, Horatio Alger, Risen from the Ranks. And and it's, uh, it's, it's subtitled, Risen from the Ranks, or Harry Walton's Success. Published New York New, by the New York Book Company in the year, according to this title page, 1908. There it is, an original. <laughs> And uh, it shows a guy. You'll never guess what it shows on the cover. Instead of showing a kid working hard, it shows a very elegant man playing golf. Apparently, in the year 1908, a man playing golf was a, was a symbol of very, very big time making it. It really made it. So I, I, I just wondered, do they... That, that, I might point out, was... I never read the Horatio Alger books. I just know about them. These, these are the things I never read. Uh, but the odd stories, yes. Uh, Miss Shields reading to us Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Andy, yes. I'm just curious whether or not uh, they do read books, whether a teacher reads books. I can remember in the library, there was a fantastic lady would come and read to us in the library. It was a big thing. You'd go there Saturday morning, and all the kids, these are little kids in Belmont, like, you know, uh, kindergarten, the fourth, or, or probably up to possibly fourth grade, but below that. And, boy, it was just great. <laughs> and it's a shame, you know, if they don't do it. Because you get involved in this whole world. A kid can see everything. He can see the, the munchkin and the yellow brick road in his mind and the Emerald City rising like spires out of the cloudy skies of Oz. And that tornado picking up the house tonight. You know, you just you just uh, you just get sucked into it, and that's a kind of a good feeling, I think, to get sucked out of your world once and get puffed into another one, where it where it requires the imagination. You know, the imagination is like every other muscle in your body. You got to keep that. Imagination is a, is a facility when it's driving a golf ball. If you stop doing it, you start losing distance. And uh, you got to learn to use your imagination very early. If you don't, you'll never know how to do it.